Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Ready? Yep. Let's go. Let's laugh. We are imperfect after all. Okay. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Imperfect Us podcast. I'm Leanne Camilleri. And I'm Lisa Downs. As co-hosts of the Imperfect Us podcast, we will share relatable stories that celebrate that we are perfectly imperfect humans leading perfectly imperfect lives. We will be sharing these stories through open and honest conversations with our extraordinary guests. And together we'll discover practical and evidence-based strategies that will enable us to navigate the constant challenges and changes of everyday life. We are thrilled to share these conversations as we draw on the science of wellbeing and positive psychology, and we uncover the barriers that might hold us back from being our authentic selves and turn them into opportunities so that we can show up more consistently doing what we really aspire to do and who we want to be. We'd like to acknowledge the Wadarung and Ghana people who are the traditional custodians of the beautiful lands on which this podcast is being recorded. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging and extend this respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples from other communities who are here with us today. So let's get started. Yay. And recording. In today's episode, we are speaking with Professor Basima Tufik, who is a Professor of Career Development and Work and Organisation Studies at the MIT Sloan School of Management in Massachusetts in the United States. Basima is known for her research examining the psychology of the social self at work, where she seeks to define new conversations around two unexplored phenomena in the organisational literature that implicate the social self. That is the workplace imposter thoughts, which is defined as the belief that others overestimate one's competence at work and also request declining at work, defined as the active decision not to help others at work. Basima also examines effective employee and work group functioning in the modern workplace, an increasingly important topic given the rising complexity of work. Basima's dissertation entitled The Imposter Thoughts as a Double-Edged Short Sword challenges previous research and highlights potential upsides of experiencing imposter thoughts. Her work has been awarded a number of accomplishments, including the 40 Under 40 Best Business School Professor and the Thinkers 50. And she has been suggested as someone to watch closely for the 30 Thinkers of 2022. Today, we have the honour to learn more about Basima's findings in her current research and emerging research and the highlights that she will discover today. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome, um, Basima. We are so privileged to have you today and our guests are going to be blown away by some of your new research. So we're really excited. Are you ready to dive on in? I am, and I'm super thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our privilege. Well, Basima, we would firstly love to know a little bit about what led you to do the wonderful work that you're doing and the research you're doing as well. Yeah, so this actually dates back to my consulting days. So before I decided to go and get a PhD and become an academic, I was a general management consultant. And I was really fascinated by the dynamics that I was seeing in my workplace, uh, a little bit more so than my clients, although don't tell my clients that. (laughs) And one of the things that I found really interesting about consulting, and I think this generalizes to a lot of different careers, um, as we'll talk about in a bit, was this idea that 
you kind of were coming into these client sites and almost convincing them or, or giving off an error that you have some specialized knowledge to give them. And that was kind of a really interesting privileged position to be in because sometimes me personally, I was going into industries that I actually had no basis in. And so it kind of led me to sort of experience imposter syndrome myself. And then I talked to some other people and I found that this was kind of a universal experience, not just in consulting, but also outside of consulting. Leanne and I, that's one of the conversations we started and why we decided to do the podcast is because we were both having imposter thoughts all the time, but we would call each other out on it. And it was an interesting thing that the more we started to understand, the more people we see have it and we can hear it in their language, whether they know it or not. So, yeah. That's super interesting what you're picking up on and and maybe that's a thought for a future project, but um, (laughs) I'm really curious to ask you guys about how do you think it manifests in what you were hearing? Because one of the things, and, and maybe we'll get to this, which I think a lot of people have different ideas of what this phenomenon really is. Um, And I think part of that is because it is something we talk about quite a bit, especially if you look at sort of popular press or business press. So what I've found in in discussions with people is when I tell them, you know, I study this phenomenon, what I call imposter thoughts, they often are like, oh, I know imposter syndrome. It's the idea that I don't belong, or it's a sort of a fear of being exposed. And that kind of gives me pause because I kind of sit there and I say, I'm not actually sure that's really what the imposter phenomenon as it was initially conceived is really supposed to capture. And so originally when when psychologists Clinton and Imes first came up with this, they said that the central feature of this phenomenon was this idea that others overestimate you. So it's essentially the central thought is, I think other people think I'm smarter than I think I am. This can lead you to think that you don't belong. This can lead you to um, sort of fear being exposed, but they're not necessarily synonymous. And it's really, that's, that's a really important notion because that's sort of what opens up this um, potential window to consider whether there might be some potential upsides. I so hear you on that. Imposter syndrome shows up for different reasons. As we started talking and, and exploring together, we really loved the perspective that came from you around considering it to be some, something of benefit, that we can look at it as, as something to propel us forward rather than hold us back. And it has really changed definitely how I show up. And I'm sure I'm speaking to for Lisa when I say mm-hmm. us, you know, you just catch it out. We, you know, we'll be in conversation and say, oh, there's the imposter, you know, or my, I call mine Lucy. You know, there's mm-hmm. Lucy. Well, so what I think is really interesting about what you're, what you're picking up is this. So you talked about your personal experience and you talked about, Hey, there's this salient thing in my background that is really present for me, really salient for me. But you know, when Melbourne university admitted you, they said, no, you're qualified to be here. Um, And I think what you're picking up on is this idea of information symmetry, or what is uh, another way of thinking about this is Baumeister's work on, um, negative is stronger than positive, Mm. which is as humans, we are conditioned to sort of much more pay attention to our weaknesses, the negative things that have happened to us, as opposed to the positive things. Mm. But it's not clear that that operates in the same way to other people, right? So what's what's really interesting about this, this phenomenon, what I'm calling imposter thoughts is that in some respects, like as the person having it, I'm the one who's wrong. (laughs) <laughs> that maybe, maybe I'm overweighting the negative 
uh, in a way that isn't actually rational. Maybe to others, they're actually weighting it in a much more healthier balance. And, mm-hmm. and when I'm hoping sort of this work that we're going to talk about, like a takeaway of this work is that it kind of shows us that maybe we should trust others. Maybe we should trust the cheerleaders in our lives, the people who are telling us, no, you're, you're good. You're confident. You are qualified to be here. And how good are we at disbelieving them? You know, you've got this, you know, yeah. you've got this person. Got it wrong. No, I haven't. No, you know, what are you talking no. about? You don't really know. You're just being kind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it is true. We are very good at remembering everything that, that goes against what other people are telling us. So, so you're, you're straight. You're completely right about that. I do want to highlight one thing though, which is, um, you know, if you define imposter thoughts the way that I define it, right? This idea that other people are overestimating you, that I think other people think I'm smarter than I think I am. Naturally, in most cases, that still leads to anxiety. It leads to decreased self-esteem. It does, um, it can lead to a fear of being exposed. But one thing that, um, you know, also opened up this possibility to consider that there might be upsides was that I was actually talking to another person and she was telling me that she experiences this phenomenon when I told her about what I was working on. This was a couple of years ago. And she told me though, uh, something that I found really interesting. She said, well, that's their problem. So she was like, I agree. I think other people overestimate me, but I don't always react with this idea of fear of being exposed. In fact, in some respects, I realized that, you know, if other people think I'm great, this might help me at work and I'm able to sort of move forward as a result. And so that's what kind of made me realize that we need to disentangle Mm. sort of the negative emotions that might come from this, because it's not always the case that they're always going to come. There are people who can acknowledge that other people overestimate them and not necessarily have the negative well-being consequences that we typically associate. Yes. Oh, and I know we're jumping ahead, so. Oh, I, I love it. We're okay ahead. with that. We're good with that. We're okay. We're imperfect. Everything's <laughs> fine. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I, I think about was found myself thinking about when you were sort of talking about that there was, you know, when we get caught in those imposter thoughts, what we've often called an imposter storm, you know, you get so stuck inside your head of all the negative negative things you know you can rule yourself out of anything with all these thoughts and you forget you know like you just forget that all the good things or or all the things that have sort of got you to here and you know when we find ourselves in that um, that storm that imposter storm we just I guess quite alone in our thinking and you know disbelieving those people that do have our backs so you know what I wonder is like you know, some things that we've discussed is having reminders around you, you know, like, like achievement mapping, for example, you know, where, where you um, consider your achievements to remind you in those moments where I just can't see because I'm blinded, I guess, by those thoughts. Um, what do you think there? Do you, what, yeah, what are your I, thoughts? I think this ties really nicely to something that, that you guys said earlier about, uh, you know, Lisa, when, when you're like, oh, we have these moments and, we sort of remind each other or we call each other out. I think this actually leads really nicely to the research itself. Yes. So in my, in my research, and then I'll help address the point that you were, you brought up. 
So my research, it's really about showing, hey, there might be this interpersonal silver lining. So yeah. across two field studies and two experiments that help sort of show causality, I find that those who experience more frequent imposter thoughts, so they think other people think they're smarter than they think they are, adopt an other-focused orientation. That is, they mm -hmm. sort of display better active listening, they're nodding more, they have more open hand gestures, and this leads other people to rate them as interpersonally effective. So mm -hmm. in the medical field, that's things like thinking that uh, the doctors are empathetic or that they listen well. And one thing that comes really clear, what I hope is a key takeaway from the research is that yes, having imposter thoughts can, can lead you to actually be really interpersonally effective at work. And maybe the way that we have to think about harnessing it is that making sure that we are embedding ourselves in a social community. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is when we're in what you're calling an imposter storm, you're thinking all these thoughts that are almost potentially leading to a paralysis and you're very much in your head, that maybe that's the moment where it's really, really important to reach out to others. I want to be really clear though. It doesn't necessarily mean, or I don't necessarily think that means that you need to reach out to others and tell other people that you're having imposter thoughts. What I do think is actually, it just means that you need to be in a situation where you can have this interpersonal interaction. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say this is let's go back to sort of the doctor study I alluded to. Yeah. So in that study, I also asked these doctors in training, this was right before they were entering residency. So they had done some clinical rotations already and interacted with patients. Um, but I, I asked these doctors, were you on purpose in your patient interactions trying to appear warmer or sort of friendlier? And I didn't actually find a significant difference between those who reported more frequent imposter thoughts and those who reported less frequent imposter thoughts. Mm. So what that indicated to me is that this adoption of an other focused orientation is kind of this, um, like a, almost a subconscious defensive response that we engage in. Mm. And so as a result, it's, it's almost like our, our, as humans, we sort of know how to self-protect or sort of self-correct in some ways. We might be having these imposter thoughts. We actually try to compensate by being more other focused. And that actually provides us an opportunity to sort of deepen those social or relational bonds, right? Which I think can actually feed into a more virtuous cycle. Yeah. And I think that might be in we've probably done a little bit of our own experiment. We probably should have um, done some research for you. Leanne and I have sort of almost done that together when we've been talking about it. So we've obviously been reading about it, finding out about it, the research, actually doing some experiments on ourselves and then talking about what we found. So lots of mindfulness and really noticing those thoughts when they pop up and having that, like you talk about, having that time just to pause and go, okay, they're just thoughts rather than this thing that's going to overtake everything. So we've changed but our I, mindset about that. Yeah. But I do want to emphasize, I don't necessarily think that you need to actually clarify that. So I think it's great if you have someone that you can talk to about having these thoughts. Yeah. But I think what, what I seem to see when I, you know, looked at doctors and when I looked at finance employees, um, is that people just sort of, uh, did this other orientation naturally. Right. And so they were able to sort of, without telling other people, it's not that they told their supervisors or their patients, Hey, I have imposter thoughts. And that's what's led them to having these deeper interpersonal interactions. It was actually something that was much more subconscious. And so the reason I'm, I'm sort of highlighting this is, you know, one question you might have is, well, what should managers do about this? So if managers in the workplace know that their employees have imposter thoughts, what should they do? 
Um, and, and this is where I sort of say, hey, managers, let's think about the number of outcomes we might care about for supporting our employees in the workplace. So things like you got your subjective well-being, you've got your interpersonal soft skills, and you got your competence-related sort of performance outcomes. And if I'm telling you, hey, there's this interpersonal upside, then really what I'm saying is for those employees who have an opportunity to interact interpersonally with others, then having imposter thoughts may not hold you back. But if we're talking, you know, about someone like, let's think about the pandemic, right? You were maybe a pandemic worker. You actually weren't someone who spent all your day in meetings. Maybe you were just coding all day. Mm -hmm. Then having imposter thoughts there is actually quite detrimental because you didn't have that avenue to potentially see that benefit emerge. So so it's kind of really making sure that we're thinking about sort of the whole picture here and what avenues each person who has these thoughts might have to sort of thrive. So, so okay. am I understanding you right, Bessemer? In in that, not necessarily would I be saying, "Oh, hey, Lisa, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having these thoughts." It's more changing the language that I use with her, perhaps around, um, you know, the questions I might ask or the conversation I might have, uh, knowing well, that that's going on inside of me. Well, so this is really interesting. So you're you're pushing it into a different direction, which is kind of like, okay, if I'm someone who has imposter thoughts, what should I do? How mm. how should I respond? What what I want to highlight is one, you might actually be responding in a way that is functional. So that's kind of what this interpersonal silver lining is, is that we naturally kind of default. And mm. I think that's kind of cool that, you know, we we're, you know, we may we're imperfect, we're we're flat <laughs> individuals, but we have we have maybe potential natural tendencies that can help us move through this, right? Um, one thing to highlight here is when we think about a lot of people who have these thoughts, they have been successful often, mm-hmm. right? They have, they've gotten degrees, they've gone on to do really incredible work. And so the question is sort of, I always want to remind myself is, well, a lot of high achievers have this, yet they're still achieving. So this can't be something that's completely holding us back. Maybe it's actually propelling us forward in some ways. And then taking the second part or the related part of your question, or I actually think the main part of your question, which is, okay, but what should we be doing consciously? And I think consciously, this, this is a hard thing to think about, but a personal or pet motivation that I have, or sort of a, a hope perhaps that I have, if people hear about this work is that people stop making themselves feel worse when they're able to name exactly those thoughts that they're having. Mm-hmm. Right now, when I think someone told, or, you know, someone has these imposter thoughts and then someone's like, oh, that sounds like a lot like imposter syndrome. And then you go to Google and you type in imposter syndrome and you just see article after article um, of people telling their stories and telling you it's so bad, you need to get rid of it, mm-hmm. you need to overcome it. And I think that just sort of, you know, a couple things happen. One, you feel worse about yourself because now you're like, oh, it is a really bad thing. So not only did I feel bad having them in the first place, now that I've named it, I know it's really bad. And now that I have to get rid of it. And also now that I've figured out what the name is for this, it just brings about negative connotations. I mean, Mm. the word imposter isn't really a positive word. Mm. The word syndrome makes you feel like you have a medical problem, which you don't. And so you know, one of the things I really want to emphasize here is that I don't want people to feel even worse about themselves after they've named it. I want people to recognize that, yes, this is experience I'm having. This is an experience that many high achieving people have. Yes, this can make me feel bad, but Hey, it might also let me 
sort of develop stronger interpersonal relationships. And so maybe I need to put myself in a position if I can to sort of um, manifest that benefit. Yeah, oh, I love that. Oh, me too. And I think that's we we do see, and we've read your um, research as well. So we're really, really excited about you know the, the upsides of it. And I think just even changing the compass lens on, you know, towards the positive. And I think that's what the two of us have been playing with. In okay, well, that's the thought. So that could be that, or we have another choice. It could actually be this one. So we've been playing around with, okay, let's move towards a more positive scenario. Or is there something in that thought that's actually going to help us to really need to perhaps learn a skill that we, you know, or something that we might actually need to improve? We just don't know yet. So it's really, really helped us to be a bit more mindful, a bit more open in what are those thoughts telling us? And then having some action. I think that's great. And I also think this is sort of, um, you know, consistent with another thought that I think many of us have have heard or had, which is, you know, hard things are naturally uncomfortable. So Mm. when we are in a challenging situation, when we're learning something, it is going to be uncomfortable. And I think one of the things I also want to highlight here is that maybe we need to be okay with a little bit of discomfort. So imposter thoughts is one thing that can signal to us that we're experiencing some discomfort, but really trying to peel back, Lisa, as you were saying, where's this thought coming from? Might there actually be a kernel of goodness in this thought? So maybe it's, oh, other people think I can do this. Maybe that's sort of what we need to sort of lean on here. Mm. When we think about the thoughts that we have and, and how we share them, right? So, so I can share them with Lisa. I know she gets me. We're on the same path. We're, we, we use the same language. But I have found where I have spoken to someone about imposter syndrome and maybe they don't quite get it themselves. And then I have found myself, you know, there's an inner strength that has built through what Lisa and I have been doing. But when that other person doesn't see that I can see the thoughts get busy I am sort of looking in in through their eyes are you actually getting me are you thinking I'm weak I so Leanne I think this is a great question that you're um that you're asking I had a student at not not at Sloan but a a person who is also uh, studying an MBA at a different university and he asked me after hearing about my research okay So should I just tell people I have imposter thoughts and then they're going to think I'm interpersonally affected? And I looked at them and I was like, no, (laughs) that is not the takeaway for a couple of reasons. So one, you know, this is, this is unfortunate, but I do think because imposter thoughts can sound a lot like self-doubt, it can sound like a lot like low self-confidence. It's really, I really want to emphasize that it is important to consider who you are telling your imposter thoughts to. So often we see this narrative of like, you know, share social sharing and share your thoughts with others and create this environment. Um, and I think that's important, but I think we know from research on self-disclosure that you also have to be very targeted in who you're sharing which thoughts to, and that you don't actually need to share all these thoughts with other people and that it might not be to your benefit. Um, so one of my takeaways is, is I I don't necessarily think you should share unless you have sort of that trusted advisor, that trusted mentor, that trusted friend that you can really rely on. I don't, I don't want people to, you know, share these thoughts and then essentially be penalized for it. I would love to be in sort of a world of work in which you can just tell everyone every time that you're scared about something or you're afraid you're going to fail, but, but we're not there. And I think 
one of the things I really want to highlight in, in my work in general, and not just with my imposter work, is that at, at the end of the day, I want people to really take care of themselves. Because only when you take care of yourself, can you also be great for others around you, right? So if you're someone who's experiencing imposter thoughts, I don't want you essentially to enter potentially, you know, career suicide by telling everyone about this. I think when we hear people who share these thoughts, they often tend to be in senior positions or at least more protected positions. And there's a reason for this. Um, and I do think, you know, it'd be great if more seniors shared this to make their more junior employees uh, feel a little bit more like they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there's sort of a fine line of, of, you know, telling everyone that this is something you should do. Yeah. It would be such a different world. I think Basima, if, if they did share, because, you know, I have to wonder how many people hold themselves back from the questions they might ask or the opportunities they might go for, you know, that sort of thing. If they knew that someone senior to them had that same experience, but hey, I made it, I'm here, uh, we're human, <laughs> this is a human experience, it's all okay. It might change what we see in front of us around creativity and things like that. You know, think about STEM. I'm sure there's, you know, areas of that that are so impacted by imposter thought, but those thoughts may be just the thing that changes the way we see things. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that's true. I think really remembering that this is prevalence is really important You know, I do think it's an interesting open question, and this is where, you know, I hope my research progresses and I hope others sort of join the fray with thinking about what else can workplace imposter thoughts uh, impact? Is it creativity and through what mechanisms, what would lead you to more creative? Is it that leaders, for example, with imposter thoughts are actually better to work for? So I really hope that all of this is the beginning of a conversation now that we know that there is this sort of interpersonal upside might there be these other upsides and, and how do we harness them once we know what those other upsides are? Absolutely. And I, I, we do see the upsides and I, especially reading your research, it was um, a real inspiration and thank goodness, because reading the beginning um, research, it's like, oh, so negative. Both Leanne and I did a master's of applied positive psychology. So it meant, oh, yay, finally, someone's doing the other side. I'm actually curious um, about your future thinking about the imposter think or thoughts in the workplace and whether you've got some insights as to what you might find or what you might be up to next. Really, a lot of my future research is going to be looking at trying to exploit or broaden our understanding around this other focused orientation. So if those with imposter thoughts are becoming more other oriented, what are all the other outcomes that we might see uh, benefits pour through? And then also making sure that we're always considering what's working against that, right? So one of the things that this research is, is meant to show is, is not just the upside, but let's have a more holistic picture. Let's really start thinking about the whole phenomenon so that we can actually be a little bit more tailored into what we recommend. Absolutely. And that's really exciting. Well, for me, I'm sure Leanne's thinking exactly the same. It's very, very exciting because like Leanne and I have been doing just playing with ideas together and the conversations, there's so much energy in it because we see more of the, this happened today because I actually tried this or I did this. And so we're noticing it as this almost um, qualitative data for ourselves, just the two of us, uh, which is not a very good amount of people to do the research. (laughs) But 
we do yeah. see that. So I'm really Come excited on. for you for that, for Basima. You'll have to probably interview us. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I would love to, and I'd love to keep in touch. Yeah, oh, for sure. That, that is so wonderful to hear because we so love uh, we so love your work. As we come to towards the end of our conversation, besides your own fantastic work that we absolutely love, we'd love to know of any books or TED talks or words of wisdom that people might enjoy to to move forward with. Is this related to the topic? Yes, based on our conversation. I will send you an email because uh, that way you can have, you can pick and choose which ones are useful for you. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And we'll be sure to put that into the show notes so that people can find that as well. Thank you so much. And a link to your um, research as well will pop in there too for people. So that those who are really curious might like to dive on in, which we know we have a few that would love to do that. Now, Basima, where is the best place for people to find out more about you and the incredible work that you're doing? Um, that's incredibly kind of you to ask. Um, I would just direct people to my MIT webpage. It gets uh, updated frequently, not just with my research, but also with media coverage um, or great sort of summaries of the research. And I'm always happy to uh, interface with those over email as well. Oh, beautiful. We'll put that in our show notes for everybody as well. We always finish our conversation inviting our guests to share a self-care strategy that they're you know, currently implementing in their lives. And so we're curious, do you have a self-care strategy that you're using at the moment? Yes, although you're actually making me help realize that I'm doing it. Um, so, <laughs> uh, mine has actually been being much more mindful about my time and In particular, and you guys are going to laugh at me, but often before, whenever something sort of hits my inbox or I have to do something for work, I will pause and ask myself if it has to happen at this particular time or if there's something else during that time, which by the way, it could be something as I just need to stare at a wall for five minutes. If, if that's what I need to do, and if that's what I think is that is going to give me joy in that moment, I I try to do that. Um, I think the phrase for it, there's a professor at Harvard Business School named Ashley Willens, who talks about how it's much more important to be sort of time mindful than money mindful. Mm. And then actually, if you sort of start to value your time in the same way that we value money, you can actually sort of unlock happiness and, and be equally productive. Oh, I love that. We always hear people talk about I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. But we are the managers of our own time. And we just need to rethink, well, how can we best use it? I love that. How good was that, Leanne? Oh, what Us an honour. Research, the emerging research is just such a, I think that really hits us really well with our positive psych lens that we're leaning into what's possible and the benefits of an imposter syndrome or what imposter thoughts as she shares. Mm. Um, what stood out for you? Oh, look, so much, so much stood out for me. I think I just want to think about it differently now. Mm. I don't want to call it imposter syndrome. And I, I know I've said this before as well. Like we can turn it around and use it for good. We mm. can turn it around and use it strategically to move forward and, you know, lean into that growth mindset, lean into the discomfort, you know, all of that. I, I just feel so inspired after this conversation. Absolutely. And I, what I really loved is that she's highlighted so many of the silver linings and the benefits of, you know, those imposter thoughts that they're there to help, you know, consider our next actions, but also that the research is showing 
that, you know, by self-identifying doesn't actually make anything worse. And in actual fact, the research says that it, there's, um, it can make you significantly or it can inf- impact you significantly greater um, mm. or better. Yeah. I just can't wait to see where she goes from here too because I know it was such a small field to begin with um, when it was a, a phenomenon and the syndrome. Yeah, and I mean, this was her research was the first of its kind in yeah. turning it around. Absolutely. And I think that's what excites me is that there is a possibility to see it in a different light. And she gave us praise, I guess, for using the words imposter thoughts rather than imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon, not to discredit that because I think it's important to honour the, you know, the, the pathway or, or, or the, you know, the path that's travelled to get to now. But mm. I think now we need to turn our thinking around. Mm. We need to understand curious as well sorry what was that to be more curious you know we've had that research and it's like all research that comes across is that just because it is um, said or coined by somebody does that make make it that it's correct in all contexts Mm. and now we're starting to discover that that and I think that was where we've been really challenged by the uncomfort in feeling like it's a negative where we're actually using it as that learning pathway forward yeah Um, and i think she you know she points out that as humans you know we are we're much more conditioned to 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 have that awareness or place our attention on our weaknesses but understanding that helps us to put into perspective when we're experiencing those imposter thoughts that our brain's way or our body's way of uh, protecting us from from harm or danger but we can choose how we respond and how we move forward and I think that was something from her hope you know she hoped that we could use it to propel ourselves forward in a positive way yeah and think like people who um, don't have imposter thoughts or they say they don't yeah, what do they do? I really love how also Adam Grant in his um, book, Think Again, he really siphons down Bussamer's work and he talks about that it can help us by motivating us to work harder, to work to motivate us to work smarter, and also to help us become better learners. And I think Basmina in, in this episode really nailed that and really highlights the importance of um, where to next. I agree. Yeah, I such agree. a great, can't wait to find out more of her research coming forward and it's exciting. Yeah, I'm so excited. I like that I feel challenged to think differently. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. Yep. And I'm um, looking forward to what's coming next. Take care, everyone. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Imperfect Us podcast. As always, we are extremely grateful for our executive producer, Brenton Ainsworth, for helping us to put this episode together and the incredible music throughout the show. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone you care about. And we would be grateful if you could rate this podcast on iTunes. If you know someone who has a great story to share about how to live with imposter thoughts, then please get in touch with us. To find out more about Leanne and Lisa, we welcome you to connect with us on LinkedIn and our socials. Bye for now. Bye for now.